more times to the junior campers. Uh, but what we're doing this week is we're going to, uh, the, our theme is being bold or boldness in our witness, okay? Uh, the first day we talk about uh, conviction, how real is your God? The reason why sometimes we don't witness, perhaps we are not aware or we are not really uh, in, the, uh, in that atmosphere or, or way of thinking or I would even call it worldview of the fact that God is real. Uh, how real is he? That, that's conviction. And the, and the second day, second night, we talk about uh, choices. Okay? Amen. I mean, do I really have a choice or you know, do I cho- am I chosen to obey God? Choices. Uh, the third um, day, third night, we will be talking about uh, courage, doing what is right and paying the consequences. Okay, uh, no matter what, obeying God. You know, God said, you know, He said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. So when when if God is going to go, like if you ask Jesus, Lord, could you please help me? Uh, explain to me what love means. And Jesus would say, love means O-B-E-Y. Okay, obey. That's the third, you know. So, courage. And number four, we, we'll talk about content. What does it mean, you know? Communication and then character, right? We can, you know, walk and talk. Some people say, okay, you don't have to talk. You just have to walk. No, it's not either or, okay? It's talk and walk, Okay. Sometimes the content of the gospel is judged by the, 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 the character of the messenger. Amen? The content of the gospel is sometimes is known not only by the message of the messenger, but by the character of the messenger. Okay? The two goes together. Number five, we'll talk about commitment. Okay? Where do I go from here? That's... And we'll do the same things with the children. However, this morning, I, w- I want to talk to you something very, very that's close to my heart and, and dear to my heart. You know, I, I want to begin a story, okay? Uh, uh, you know, and, and I want to make sure everybody knows that this is just a story, okay? So, because one time I, I did this story in the church, and somebody said, really? And did that really happen? You know, anyway, story. Uh, uh, Mary the nun and Mary the taxi driver. I don't know if you heard of this story before. Mary the nun... He, she always prays. That's her. He says she's a nun, right? So she prays, you know, I don't know, five times, six times, seven times, ten times a day, you know, pray. I mean, she's very, you know, godly, and that's what, you know. And Mary, the taxi driver, she's a crazy driver, okay? All she does is drive taxi all day, but, you know, she's crazy, you know, when there's a, you know, if she gets the, to the intersection first, if nobody's there, she goes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she's like, she doesn't pay attention to the rules is to get you from point A to point B the, quick, the quickest possible. That's Mary, the taxi driver. Both Marys died. So Mary, the nun, Mary, the taxi driver goes back, goes to heaven, right? So, well, they were in heaven. Okay, they were met by... Normally, I will say the story, you know, St. Peter, right? But because that's a normal thing that meets you in heaven, right? But since this is a grace church, and we're really... Okay, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. Well, let's just use, instead of using Paul, it's just Peter, okay, because that's a normal thing. But anyway, Peter meets them at the further gates, and, and Peter said, hey, Mary the nun, let's go follow me. I'm going to show you your place in heaven. So they followed Peter into this windy road, you know, and stuff like that, and here's the little hut at the end, right? Mary the nun said, you know, in her mind, wow, you know, doesn't matter as long as I'm in heaven, right? 
I mean, I could be sleeping with my sleeping, I mean, you know, there's probably not any sleeping bags in heaven, right? But, you know, on the corner side there, but it doesn't matter. As long as I'm in heaven, that's the, uh, that's the idea. But, you know, but then she's kind of thinking, okay, I wonder what Mary, uh, the taxi driver, would get. If I get this little thing here, I mean, I wonder what she would get. So she asked, you know, uh, St. Peter, can I just go and you show um, uh, Mary, the taxi driver, where her place is? Sure, you know, so they went to this nice, I mean, nice, you know, uh, pave with gold, you know what I'm saying? Wide street, you know, go there. And there at the end of this thing is a little, I mean, a huge mansion, you know, gold and stuff. Can't help it but ask, you know. Mary the nun, right? I'm not, you know, there's no jealousy in heaven, you know, everybody's changed, you know, and nobody. Well, I just want to know, right? Because when I was on earth, I did all of this. And I know she only drives taxis, you know. Why a taxi driver get this one here? And I only get this one, little hut, right? Peter said, that's true. Mary, the nun, when you were on earth, you know, you prayed a lot. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do. You know, you are doing all the stuff that religious people are supposed to do, you know. Mary, the taxi driver, on the other hand, here's what she did. You know, when, when, when people comes, you know, and flag her taxi, right? And they get into the taxi. As soon as they sit down, boom, they start praying. They said, Lord, please get me to a place where I'm going. I mean, this is a crazy driver, please. <laughs> you know, right? In other words, Mary, the nun, is doing all the things that she's supposed to do. Praying and all that stuff. Mary, the taxi driver, causes people to pray. <laughs> right? You guys see the difference? The other one is doing everything right. The other one is very religiously doing it. The other Mary, her life causes people to pray. Move people to pray. What I'm challenging you this morning is to search your life and say, am I doing all the religious stuff, going to church, doing this and doing that? Or is my life causing people to decide for Jesus Christ? By the way I live. Okay? When people look at my life, would they look at it and say, hey, here comes Mr. C. He is religious. I see him. He's religious. Or when people come and look at my life and they say, whoa, what am I doing? Right? So you either, and I think this is the difference, a transformed life causes people to see God. A religious life doesn't do anything. And I think God is uh, uh, calling us not to be transformers. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. God is calling us not to be changers. That's the, God of the, that's the, 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 the role of the Holy Spirit. But God is calling us to provoke people to see God. Amen? God is calling us so that people will realize that there is a need for God in this universe, in this world, in this world of darkness. God is calling us so that our life will speak for God. And whenever we see people, people that we will come in contact with, they would know. And they would say, you know what? You could, there's two little things, okay? I always say this, and I always get in trouble by saying this. I hope I'm not going to get in trouble this morning. As a Christian, your life ought to be offensive to the world. I mean, I've been told so many times in an airplane or any kind of a 
you know, I mean, the, the, what's wrong with you? You Christians are narrow-minded, okay? You guys are narrow-minded. And I always, you know, sometimes I shake the, people, the person's hand. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Because that's exactly who I am. You know what I'm saying? I, am, I want to be known as narrow-minded. I want to be known as Christ is the only way. He is not one of the ways, right? He's the only hope. He's the only way. He's the truth. He's not one of the truths, right? So, 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 so that's... I get excited when I talk about this, you know, because I, I, I think that that's what the church is all about. That's what I, I am is all about. I am, you know, we don't go and offend the world, okay? We don't do that. We go and love the world, right? Amen. Love people, you know? And by loving that, our life provoke people, right? It would ought to, you know, it, it's not like, uh, how do you live above the middle of mediocrity? How do you live so that you don't maintain the status quo in your relationships? Live for God. Hallelujah. Okay? Be the presence of God. Be the face of Jesus. And let me tell you, there's no status quo there. Okay? Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. That's where we are, uh, we're going to go this morning uh, uh, briefly. John chapter 4. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, the, the idea here is, uh, let, me say, let me say this. You know, a lot of things that I, I, I even attended a, a, a seminar once where we talk about uh, John chapter 4. The speaker was talking about John chapter 4. And he was trying to uh, delineate, you know, trying to see you know, how effective of a communicator Jesus was, you know, with the uh, with Samaritan woman, right? And trying to learn, like, okay, this is uh, what you do if you want to share the gospel, you know? Trying to dissect between the conversation of Jesus and the woman, you know? I don't think so. I think John chapter 4 is a, is a missionary passage. It's a passage of, of the proclamation of God's love and grace, but not shown with, between the conversation of Jesus and the woman, but shown... Uh, uh, shown in, by the way the woman reacted and what took place afterwards, okay? So what, that's what we're going to look at. But it's just interesting contrast from John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, right? John chapter 3 is a guy that is very educated, right? Well-known teacher uh, of the Jews, okay? I mean, this, this, this uh, you know how important a rabbi is. A teacher is in, in Judaism, right? I mean, the, the, their disciples would follow them and they actually would pray with saying, may your dust fill upon me. I mean, in other words, they would follow the, the, the rabbi everywhere the rabbi go. And, and this is how dedicated they were. And they were so uh, dedicated to their studies. And, and Nicodemus is one of those. He's one of those rabbis and he's will learn. You know what I'm saying? So he is high up there, right? This high in the society was seeking Jesus, trying to look for Jesus. And he's doing it at night, okay, according to the scriptures, right? He's doing it at night. You know, I could only imagine. He didn't didn't want to be, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, 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 well, this is a bad illustration. But but anyway, let me just say this. It's like President Obama, right, asking for, you know, somebody from, you know, struggling and asking and seeking, right? He, you know, he would not want to do it in, uh, in broad daylight, right? I mean, you should do it as 
secret as possible, no? senior secret service, they get their mind here, get to ask him a question, <laughs> thing like that. So this guy is seeking Jesus at night. What, what this tells me is, you know, when you get in chapter 4, you got the nothing of the nothings, okay? You got the not will, no, this one is well known, he was seeking Jesus, this one could care less, the Samaritan woman. He, she wasn't seeking Jesus at all. You know, she did not feel the need of anything. Okay? Here's emptiness. Here's blindness. Okay? Here's every single self-righteous, whatever it is, he had it. Here, every single evil and everything like that, she had it. Okay? So they're in two separate spectrum, right? Two sides of the spectrum. And here we are. They're all in need of Jesus. You mean? It tells you that no matter how educated a person was, no matter how wealthy a person is, no matter how high is this person in society, no matter how low this person is in society, every single one needs Jesus, and the gospel changes lives of every single one. There's no respect. There's no favoritism. There's nothing. Everything, the playing field is level, right? It's all, all in need of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Ah. Let's go to John chapter 4. And this is, a, this is very interesting to me. Okay, John chapter 4, right? This is not a sermon yet, okay? <laughs> when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, verse 1, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Verse 4. You can underline that in your Bible. It's a very interesting verse. Just one sentence. And he said, he and he must needs go through where? Samaria. You know, when you look at the map, he actually, he actually has at least two choices. Two nine, actually, two, two choices that are actually good for him to go through rather than go through Samaria. Besides the fact that the Samaritans and the uh, Jews, you know, they have a an cultural animosity, Okay. I mean, the, 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 the Jews were saying, the Samaritans, you guys are not pure Jews. You know, you guys are half-breed, so you guys, you know, you guys are nothing. You're, you're worthless. You're worth, if, if it is a, a degree, you know, dogs, and you are, you are uh, below. Okay? But it's, I like that, because if you look at that, that is you know, a lot of these other translations water that down. Okay? But that is really true. I mean, that is really what the text is saying. He must need to go through some. Why is it a must? Okay? He doesn't have to. But why is it a must for him to go through Samaria? You know why? Because there's a divine appointment that's going to take place. Amen? It is not a man-made appointment. It is not that a Samaritan woman made a schedule of Jesus and said, we're going to meet you there at the well. Right? That's what we do sometimes. You know, I write you in my agenda. You know what I'm saying? I'll write you in my schedule. The divine appointment causes the God of the universe, the Son of God, causes him to go through Samaria in order to just be there when there's nothing of nothings. Right? Came. Not even seeking him. Why did she come? She came just to give water. For crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? Nothing. She did not come, you know, kneeling down to say, oh, have mercy. No. 
She came just to get water. Okay? That's it. And you know, it's interestingly enough, it's interestingly enough, you know, when I go, and I, I, I love to plan, okay? I am a planner, and I, I love, you know, so when we go, we've we got to make sure that it is, you know, the, 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 the three essential E's, right? It should be, it should be you know, effective, e- efficient, and economical, you know, right? I mean, that makes a good plan, you know? Your plan would be effective, would be efficient, and would be economical, Okay? So to be effective, you, Jesus would have to go through, and he, his purpose is to evangelize people there. You know, the well is the center of, you know, it's like a market. It's like an agora, right? It's a market because people come, you know, to come, uh, women in particular come to, to draw water. And if he wants to do, and if he was to be strategic, he would be, Jesus would be there sitting at least like 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, you know, in the afternoon, right? Not in the middle of the day. Nobody comes in the middle of the day. Right? No. But the woman came in the middle of the day. She goes there every single time in the middle of the day because she did not want to be with anybody. Right? She just wanted to go and get her water and go home. Right? She's troubled by her reputation. She can't, you know, she, she's going to go there and she's be there, she'll be drawing water and every eyes will be looking at her and she would be like, oh man, and she would be, you know, what a struggle, what an emotional distress, right? So she comes, she chose to come in the middle of the day. Guess what? That is a divine appointment. Jesus is there in the middle of the day. Jesus could have come. If Jesus is a good strategist, he should have come when there are so many people there. But he came for that single woman because Jesus, what? Cares. With the one, you know, some, you know, I, 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 I when, I, when I, I do, I did a, I, I attended a church planting movement uh, seminar uh, a while back, okay? And, you know, I do, when, when the purpose is saying, you know, let's have 700 people, 800 people, 900 people, 1,000 people in our church. There's nothing wrong with deciding to have numbers, right? But let me tell you this. The divine movement is a movement of one or a movement of 1,000. It doesn't matter. He's looking at the heart, your heart. And I always tell people, you know, it's like a, I've, I've always thought that, uh, you know, uh, God's method is multiplying anyway. You know, so it's a disciple making. You know, when Matthew said, you know, go into all the world, Matthew 28, Jesus said, right? Go into all the world, make what? Disciples. You know, well, that implies there's conversion, right? But there's a point to that. He said, make disciples, not make converts. Okay, because disciple is multiplying. You know, that's what I, that's why, no, I actually have two sets of twins with my family here, you know. The two, you know we are multiplying, you know what I'm saying? You know, we, we actually obey God, you know. Because God said, go to the world and what? He didn't say add, okay? He said, go to the world and multiply. So that's what we did, Darcy and I. We went and multiplied. Anyway, that's, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a divine appointment, okay? In our life, we have divine appointments. You have divine appointment when you were saved. You have divine appointment when, when, when God convicted you and said, you know what, I want you to go there. I want you to obey me, follow me. You know? For the disciples, they have divine appointment. When Jesus came and he said, 
you follow me. And they were, you know, they were having, they were working, they were fishing. And, you know, Jesus said, follow me. Divine appointments. This one, he must go through Samaria. It was a divine appointment for this uh, Samaritan woman. You know, it's very interesting to me that her, it must be like the shock, right? That she was approaching this well, and here you go. And there's a, not only that, but he, he, he's a Jew. He, he, she, she can tell he, he's a Jew. You know, besides the fact that he, he, he's a guy, okay? What is he doing there? And then, it's okay, you know, maybe he's just tired, you know. And, but then he said, would you please give him water? Now that, that is revolutionary, right? That is, that is, you know, talking about countercultural. Okay, <laughs> talking about, you know, when 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 uh, when when I uh, I know, at the Berean Bible Institute I I taught uh, cross-cultural communication, you know, and cross-cultural communication simply, you know, you communicate according to the culture so you can be understood, right? This one here, Jesus did not communicate according to culture. Okay, he actually broke culture. Give me a drink. <laughs> the woman, as nice, she was being nice, right? The woman said, hey, uh, uh, I don't have anything to, you know. I mean, she's, uh, you know, it's actually in effect saying, why are you asking me for a drink, you know, or get away, you know what I'm saying? Instead, she didn't want to do that, so, you know, I don't have it. And Jesus said, if you only knew who is asking you, you would have asked. You know, look at that, look at the, look at I like, I like that fashion. I like Jesus. Jesus answered and said, verse ten. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who is it that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Wow. Wow. He said if you only knew the gift of God. Was this woman a seeker? No. She wasn't seeking for anything. She was so blinded and, and, and by sin, she cannot see anything. She just, you know, I mean, she's just living her life the way she wants to live her life. She's, and, and just, if you just know the gift of God, what does he mean by that? He meant life, right? He meant, he meant water so that she will never thirst again, Right? He, he meant a living water that will satisfy her and will satisfy her forever. He meant that the emotional baggage that she is carrying, he meant that the emotional hurt, what she, whatever she was going through, that's going to be gone. Amen? Because of that living water. And he, you know what, exactly what he said? He said, if you just know. He said, then you will ask and it will give, be given to you. Right? It's free, but you have to ask for it. Okay, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Look at the uh, the uh, he said verse twelve, right? I'm, I'm going to skip eleven. Verse 12, are, are thou art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the will and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle you know, because you know I'll give you this living water a woman said you have nothing I can see you have nothing okay so where are you go, where, where are you getting this water from are you more powerful are you greater 
Do you have more resources? Are you more capable than our father Jacob who started all of this? This is, this is, this is named after him. This is where it is known. It's known for him and his cattle and his children. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Here's a woman. Okay. Day after day after day after day after day after day with her water jug, right? Going into that well. Day in and day out. Now, here's Jesus. I will give you water. And when you drink it, you will never thirst again. You know what? What did the woman say? Give me that water. I want that water. You know, I've always, when I, was, when I was reading this story, I always thought to myself, wow, you know, it would be easier, it would be easier for Jesus to say, okay, you know, here's the step. You, give, you know what, Jesus, how do you respond? Out of the blue, right? I mean, if you were the woman, you'd be like, what in the world? Because, like, look at how Jesus responded, okay? Woman said, Jesus, okay, Jesus said, whoever drinketh this water will never thirst again, the woman in, in verse 15 said, woman said, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither, no, that I will no longer come here, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, go, what? Call thy husband and come hither. Let me ask you a question in this conversation, right? What does a husband got to do with water in the well? Right? I mean, like, if you're there, you're thinking, okay. I'm dealing with a crazy guy here, right? I mean, not only this is a guy. Secondly, what's, a, what's, what, what's my husband got to do with it? He's offering me water, and I want it. And I say, go call your husband. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I read that, I'm thinking to my, my, myself, wow, what, what, you know, what is Jesus' point? Here's Jesus' point, okay? This water that he wants to give to this woman is water that relates to the life of the woman. Okay? It is not just a mental ascent. I agree. I want this water. It has something to do with the life of the woman. This water is going to affect your life, your lifestyle, your trouble, the, the root cause, that sin. Right? It went directly speaking to the life of the woman. You have to come to a place where you have to realize something. And you know what? The woman said, I have no husband. Right? He was, she wasn't lying. Okay? Because Jesus was the heart of the woman, right? And the woman, Jesus said, you speak, you, you, you have spoken the truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The woman, you know, must have been convicted. Go call your husband. Jesus said, I have no husband. In other words, here I am. Here, here's the woman. She came to a point in her life where she realizes, you know what, I am nothing. I have no husband, no identity, nothing. At that point, no, being, having a husband is, is very important, right? And, and it's very interesting. Look at this. Uh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
that was well said. In other words, he told the truth, I have no husband. For there were five husbands. He whom now thou now has is not thy husband. Okay? He's not your husband. The woman said in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay? In other words, you know what I'm going through. You know where I'm at. You know my situation. Let me tell you something. The truth of the gospel, an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with God, okay, will result in a transformed life. And a transformed life is based on the fact right now that God knows where you're at. God knows who you are. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes we, uh, you know, we, we have a, a, a Sunday mask, right? Go to church, this church thing, you know, and you get home, you take it off, and you go, go you know, you go your, your normal life. Let me tell you, a transformed a transform life, the life of transformation begins with a realization that God knows you. You don't have to wear a mask in front of him. He knows you. And in spite of the fact that he knows you, he loves you. And his desire is to change me, right? His desire is to work in me, is to reveal his glory through me. Okay? All my, you know, I like what Andrew was saying. We are the temple of God, right? Amen. Yeah, meaning we are God's building. We are God's temple. Okay. If, if, if the temple wants to be clean and renovated and all the stuff, the temple does it himself? No. So, no. It's the one that's residing in it, right? It's the one that is in residence in that house is going to go and make sure this house is transformed and and, and, and reform and all that stuff. So who is in residence in this temple? God is, right? Amen. We are the temple of God. He resides and he dwells in us. And when we allow him in his power, he's going to transform you. But we have to remember, God knows everything about us. Hallelujah. Amen. He knows everything about us. He said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. It's to realize that God knows. Come to him as you are. Take off your mask and say, this is who I am. And throw yourself at the mercy of God's love and grace. Here's the thing. I like this, okay? Uh, when God, when he perceived that Jesus was a prophet, I mean, Jesus knows about everything. Okay, verse 20. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Man, I like that. I mean, I can just laugh. And, you know, when I was in the Philippines. I did a, I did a seminar on worship, you know, because the, the, these guys, the churches are dividing, right? Because some people say, you know, you only sing holy, holy, holy. And the others are saying, you know what? You can sing all those courses, you know. And so they actually divide among that. So I, 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 I did a seminar on worship, right? And it's very interesting here that here's a woman. Okay? He knows that Jesus has the power to transform life. But she did not want, you know, it's like, in other words, she changed the, the, the subject from uh, herself, right? With five husbands to a subject of worship. <laughs> That's as far as you can get. Right? <laughs> like, in other words, I don't want to talk about that anymore. You guys are saying that you have to worship there or there or, you know. In our lives sometimes, our religiosity, our uh, 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 ritualism, we use oftentimes to cover up 
what is really need to take place, and that is divine appointment and divine transformation through our lives. Amen. We blame others by the, how we worship. We blame others by the mechanics of worship. We blame others because, you know, the reason why I can't go to the church, I can't, I, there's nothing I can feel, you know, when the real issue is, right, transformation of my life. Honestly facing God and saying, Lord, I need you to change me. Yeah. I remember when, that, when Darcy and I were in Indonesia, and, uh, you know, we were just young, and, and I... Uh, just graduated, you know, after years of college and stuff like that, and and uh, all prepared and all that stuff, and you know, and we were in Indonesia. I'm thinking to myself, man, if my wife would just change a little bit, you know, <laughs> we would be good missionaries, just just a little bit. You know? Let me tell you, what a foolish thing to say, right? When the and the God through the Holy Spirit convicted me, he you want, you need to change. You need to change, and you know. That's exactly sometimes in, in, for, for the power of God to be revealed in our lives. We need to come before him with humility and say, Lord, I want you to work in my life and through my life. Forget about doing, you know, what I mean. I was like, I, I was telling somebody just recently, I said, you know what, in, in John chapter 4 here, you know, the, the, the woman was talking about the mechanics of worship, the places of Who cares? It's actually what Jesus was saying, right? Look <laughs> at what Jesus was saying. <laughs> How Jesus answered him, her. She said, Woman, verse 21, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. In other words, here's the thing. He, Jesus said, you know what? It's neither here nor there. Worship is based on your relationship with God. Amen? Worship is based on me knowing God. And look at what he said. But now the current now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, again, Jesus went back to the life of the woman. Okay? Again. He did not want to be carried into the discussion of where is the true place of worship, how he wants to be, what is truth. How's your life? You want to worship God? Look at your life. Because God looks at what? The heart. Okay? Now, if I was to make a film, let me just ask a suggestion here. If you, weren't, if you are going to make a film of this whole thing, right? Right? Let's say you're going to make a film and you will entitle it, you know, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman, right? So you have this video camera, okay? Where would you, what, what would be your main focus? Where would you focus? Jesus conversing perhaps with the woman? The woman perhaps? What would you, you know, where do you, what's your focus? Right? The whale, maybe because it's an old historical place, you know what I'm saying? And you entitle yourself, okay, the oldest whale visited by the God of the universe. <laughs> you know, I don't know, what's your focus? 
And a lot of, I think, church and theologians sometimes places our focus in the wrong place. Okay? You might focus, place the focus on Jacob's will, studying history. Place your focus on Jesus, the God and the theology of Jesus, Christology and all that. But you know what? Where I would place my focus? Verse 28. Is that where I place my The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that, I ever, that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Amen. I will focus on that jug. Okay? Because that jug symbolizes a life that is transformed by God. I will focus on that water pot, that jug, that the woman was carrying day after day and day after day with all her, her emotional baggage, with all her emotional heart, with all her problems, with everything that she's got. That is who she is and what she is, with all that represents. And I will focus on that jug, symbolizing that this woman is no longer carrying that jug, but instead she's going to the city and she's saying, discover this man that changed my life. She's not giving a formula for anything. She's not going a 12-step process of transformation. But she's just simply saying, come, see this man. He changes me. That's the gospel. Amen? That's the gospel. The gospel is simply, you and I as Christians, is simply going to people and saying, come, see and discover Jesus Christ who changes my life day by day, by day. In other words, let me just close with this. In other words, here it is. True evangelism is simply telling your story of what God is doing in your life. And all of us have our story. Amen? We have a story. If you don't have a story, please, come to Jesus. Okay? We have a story. We have a song to sing. We have a story to tell. Just simply tell your story. It's a beautiful story where God transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. God bless you.